Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. On today's show, we're talking about our Christian life as lived out in public for others to see. To do that, we're going to take a look at DeMar Hamlin's cardiac arrest on the football field and all the prayer that came about afterwards. We're also going to come back here to Ferndale, make it a little local, make it a little personal, as I give you some examples from our experience with our church sign. That's going to be fun. And finally, we'll take a look at uh, Matthew 7, as Martin Luther teaches us about the narrow way and the great glorious room, wide room, we will enter that you normally call heaven. All of that and more is coming up right now. All right, well, what do you say we do a little mind equipping today? You ready for it? A little imagination, exciting? How about some soul comforting while we're at it? Let's do that. Yes, you are listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church out here in Ferndale, California. It's a pleasure to serve the saints here. It's a pleasure to serve you right now as we consider for today's show the public aspect of the Christian life, at least parts of it, the idea of it that we are the light of the world, that Jesus tells us we are to be salty, <laughs> that we are to be the salt of the earth. Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take a look at that in just a little bit. We have a number of touch points for today's show, actually. One is a show suggestion that comes from a member of St. Mark Lutheran Church, this church, related to the public display of prayer seen on the football field after DeMar Hamlin's cardiac arrest. Perhaps you're familiar with this story. Another is a devotional quote from Martin Luther on Matthew 7, 14, and yet another is what's been going on here in Ferndale at St. Mark's uh, this week and also for the last year and a half with respects to our street sign and our public display of the Christian faith for the sake of our neighbors. We've learned that being open about our Christianity is the only way to be even though it brings about hatred from our worldly neighbors. That's not our aim, but it does happen. So first, the dear saint, Cindy, Saint Cindy, emailed me after watching the events unfold around Damar Hamlin's cardiac arrest, and this is what she said. Hi, Pastor Bramwell. Hi, Cindy. I have an idea about cross-defense. It's about the football player who had the heart attack on the field and how all the players from both teams circled around him and knelt with heads bowed to pray for the injured man. Then I read where a retired NFL player was talking to Anderson Cooper on CNN saying it was the power of prayer and faith in Christ Jesus that the player who had the heart attack survived. Not exact words, I'm paraphrasing what I read. God is moving in mighty ways, and people, unbelievers, who don't know Jesus are seeing his power and hearing his name. Finally, something good is seen on TV. I thought you might be able to use this information if you're interested. Have a blessed day, Cindy. Blessings to you too, Cindy, and absolutely I'm interested. And uh, I should just say, this is a good little segue for a little housekeeping. If, if any of you out there have comments, thoughts, show suggestions, as Cindy did, or anything pertaining to cross-defense... And our First Thessalonians 5.11 goal of encouraging one another, building each other up with the Word of God, you can send me an email at stmarksferndale.com slash contact. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com slash contact. Okay, so yeah, by now many of you have no doubt heard about DeMar Hamlin's near-death cardiac arrest. Now, I haven't watched football in about a decade. So I had to hear about it via the news. And yes, Cindy is right. There was a public display of prayer by the teams on the field when it happened, which is, as, as Cindy says, finally something good on TV. The prayerful support he received when he faced death. This is amazing to see broadcast on national television. It always kind of takes us by surprise, doesn't it? And she's also correct to say that God is moving in mighty ways. And people who don't know Jesus are seeing his power and, and hearing his name. Absolutely. Ruth Graham, she wrote an article for the New York Times called Prayers for DeMar Hamlin's Show Bond Between Football and Faith. And right there at the top of the article is a big picture 
showing the Bills players on bended knee praying. Mm. So what do we want to consider here to get started? Not the power of prayer. The power isn't in prayer. But in God, who hears the prayers and does the work of healing. But that is, that's where the, the theological enthusiasts want us to go, isn't it? To the power of prayer. They would point us to a, a person's or a, a group's faith in Christ as being the cause of that miraculous healing, as the man was telling Anderson Cooper. Look at how much faith they have, they'll say. And they can do such great things with their prayer. And we have churches in our communities today that teach this sort of thing, don't we? If you, if you prayed for healing and didn't get it, some Christian churches teaches, teach, well, well, something was wrong with you, your faith. That's wrong, my friends. That's decidedly wrong. Very much in line with the prosperity gospel. Just do a little more work. Believe a little harder. And the Lord will finally give you the prosperity you're looking for. He'll finally give you the healing abilities that you've been striving toward. So we don't want to focus our attention on the faith of the praying Christian or Christians. No. That's a dead end. That's a dead end that gives glory to human beings. It gives glory to human beings and robs it from Christ, from God. To God alone belongs the glory, right? To God alone. He is the one who does the healing. He is the one with perfect faith, Christ. Trying to increase one's faith to manifest prayerful results is to slip back under God's law. It's akin to uh, coming up short with the amount of change you have at the vending machine and sticking, what do, what do, what do, you, what do you do, right? You stick your finger. <laughs> have you ever done this? Maybe you're at a hospital lobby or, or I don't know, wherever you're at when there's a vending machine and, and, and you come up short. Well, there's this coin return slot right there. And what do you do? Put your finger in there to see if anybody left any extra change. Maybe that'll help get you over the, the little hump there and you'll be able to afford the snack you want, the candy bar you want. God's not a vending machine. And you don't have to have great faith for him to listen to your prayer. You don't have to go scrounging for the right amount of change to get what you want, to, to have enough faith to get what you want. God's not a vending machine. When we slip back under the law, we have to have that exact change to get God to do what we want, to give me my Damar Hamlin healing candy bar, if you will. We don't want to do that, ever. We want to remain in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus has put us. This is where he puts us, by his cross, by his given body and shed blood. He takes us out from under the pedagogue of the law, the teacher of the law, the guardian of the law, and he places us under the gospel. The candy bar, my friends, is a free gift that doesn't require exact change or any change for that matter. If God chooses to give the prayer the DeMar Hamlin healing candy bar when the prayer asks for it, great! Praise be to God. If in his perfect wisdom, he says to you when you're praying for healing, what he says to James and John in Mark 10, 35 and following, that you don't know what you're asking for. So uh, no, you're not getting this candy bar right now. You don't, you don't quite know what you're asking for. And then there's no healing candy bar for you. Well, great. Praise be to God. That's okay. All glory is to God. So open your Bibles up with me here. Open up to 17. Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 17. You need to know the book name first. Matthew 17, 14 to 21. Open up there. Matthew 17, 14 to 21. Here we read that a man came up to Jesus 
And kneeling before him, he said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he, he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So how do we read this text? One may be tempted to see this as Jesus challenging the disciples to work harder at having more faith. Come on, guys, have more faith, and, and you can move mountains. Didn't you guys notice the change in the coin tray? Grab it. Come on, guys. No, no, no. That's not the takeaway from this text. This is not a divine challenge by Jesus. What's the takeaway? We are a faithless and twisted generation. We will be until the Lord returns. And not only can we not move mountains, because we don't even have a mustard seed size faith but we can't even heal people in their bodily suffering. But that's only half the lesson, isn't it? What's the point? Who does heal the epileptic boy? Who was buried in a mountain and moved the stone from here to there that sealed him in his tomb so he could walk out of it, resurrected from the grave. Jesus. Who gets the glory? Jesus. The one who did have perfect faith. Far more faith than the size of a mustard seed. See, that's the point of a text like that, of this particular text. It's not a challenge to have more faith. If only we had more faith, we could pray for healing and the people would be healed. That puts all of the emphasis on humans. It takes the glory away from God. Consider how Isaiah 64 puts it. Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways, behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we, we sinners, this twisted generation, shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And get this, my friends. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Our righteous deeds, the good deeds you do, they are all like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, prayer, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. 
We are all the work of your hand. This is why all the glory goes to God. He does all the work. Even the person praying is nothing more than clay. The potter forms the pot. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? And the answer to that, you know, cross-defense listener, is no. He will not keep silent. He will not afflict us so terribly. In fact, he will come and he will dwell with us. He will take on flesh and he will be hung on a cross, hanged on a cross for you and for me. His body will be pierced. He will have thorns pressed into his brow, blood dripping from his face. Nails will stick him to a piece of wood and he will be suspended in the air to bring healing to you. His side pierced by a spear, blood, water pouring out, communion, baptism being professed from the cross where those who look on even from a distance of 2,023 years and whatever geographical distance it is from Golgotha to Ferndale or wherever you're from will look on and say truly this is the Son of God and he has not kept silent he does not afflict us so terribly he has done wonderful things we are all the work of his hand. Mm. Okay, so who knows what was prayed by the players on that field or by DeMar Hamlin's family or anybody else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What we know is that God chose to sustain Mr. Hamlin's earthly life a little longer. And we saw wonderful works of Christian piety, Christian life, on full display. Praise be to God. Let's take a break right there. We'll be back for our second segment of today's show. You're listening to Cross Defense. Don't go away, my friends. We've got two more segments coming. Five Minutes with a Missionary opens a window into missionary life. LCMS missionaries share an unfiltered take on life abroad for the sake of the gospel, all in the time it takes to pick up your drive through order or empty the dishwasher. It's fun, it's personal, it's real, and it's always an adventure. Find this podcast on kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. The Christian prayer in a situation like we saw with DeMar Hamlin's heart attack on the field, where we're pleading to God to do something for us, it makes the request, Lord, sustain DeMar's life, heal him, keep him around, right? But it's always prayed not with vending machine coins of the law. We don't, we don't use that method, but rather with, with gospel faith, as Jesus demonstrated in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. As the hour of his arrest and crucifixion drew near, he prayed and he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Luke twenty-two forty-two. It's this kind of petition that the faithful Christian prays. Your will be done, Father. Be that temporal healing in the, in the here and now, right now, right here, or earthly death, if that's the case. Whatever, you know what is best 
according to your divine wisdom. So do that thing. That's what I want done. Your will be done. If it aligns with what I think is good for me right now, or if you know better, and I'm asking something that isn't the best for me, do, do what you want in my life. What you know is good for me or good for the person you're praying for, right? It's this kind of petition that the faithful person prays. Okay, so let's get to that public display of it, that aspect of this situation that Cindy observed. And why did this moment, Damar Hamlin's injury, why did this moment of crisis do that? Why did it provoke a public display of Christian piety? The facade. The facade of unending life in the here and now was removed, wasn't it? As my dad was always fond of saying when us kids were younger, that we were all, uh, we thought we were 10 feet tall and bulletproof, he'd say. And it's so true. Because younger people are bad about that sort of thing. It's hard for the young to recognize their mortality. So they walk around and they do things that are that can seem reckless to the adult. Oh, if only you knew how fragile you were. But it's not just them, is it? We all truly like to pretend that we'll live forever. All of our American comforts, our creature comforts, our technologies, all the things that we've developed to make our life easy or easier, these things just make the situation worse, don't they? We have greatly reduced the daily reminders of death in our society. The sting of struggle and hardship has been greatly reduced. These things that people of previous generations knew all too well. Just think of running water or heat on demand, this sort of thing. The fact that you get to drive to work and that you get to work in an office or this kind of thing, right? I know that's not for everybody, but speaking in generalities. These things amplify the facade that death will never come for us. Now, on the one hand, we say we know that death is coming because we, we age, we have health problems, we recognize that, we, we see death everywhere, perhaps you've, you've buried a loved one or a friend or multiple of them. But on the other hand, we're really good at psyching ourselves out, convincing ourselves that it'll never happen to me. That's the sort of thing that always happens to other people. Sure, it's a reality, but not to this guy. Not to me. The reality of death hit the football field in no uncertain terms. And so what do we see? A public display of prayer. Christian piety in action. This is why we don't see more Christian behavior in public. This is why we don't see more prayer in public. More evangelism, delivering the law to the proud sinner or the gospel to the broken one. Or any of a, a myriad of things that give away our identity as Christians. We have in place a facade that hides from our own view the truth that death is right now looking every single one of us square in the face. If we could knock down that facade, on a daily basis, which is what Luther tells us to do in baptism, to remember our baptism daily. Remember Christ's crucifixion for us daily. Confess our sins daily and be absolved of them by the blood of Christ daily. If we could knock down that facade that's tricking us and see the truth, well, then we would see a world of confession baptism. Baptized believers would blossom in their Christian piety before the world, would see Jesus in the lives of people everywhere we look. Not just once in a while, all the time. What happened on the football field, on national television, that would be normal. Normal. And Jesus has a name for this facade. Do you know that? He does. He has a name for this. It's really more of a gospel-hiding device than a facade, and it's very sophisticated, extremely complicated and elaborate. Are you ready for this? Do you know what he calls it? 
a basket. Yep, a basket. Told you, sophisticated, right? (laughs) Turn with me to Matthew 5.13. Let's go there. I promised you we'd go there. Let's go there. Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. See, my friends, you're, if you're wondering what's going on in the world around us, if you feel like Christians are just being walked all over, well, we might be on to the solution here, the cause and the, and the solution. Has our salt lost its taste? An honest question for us to consider, isn't it? Jesus continues, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. There's our sophisticated gospel hiding device, a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's wonderful that when a man was facing death, his colleagues got on their knees and prayed. It's a light on a stand moment, right? The city on a hill. And Cindy and millions of others saw the good works of the men praying. And we can give glory to our Father in heaven because of it. But it also begs the question, why do we not see more public displays of faith in God? It's because of this facade, this basket. Why is the light of the world that came into the world, Jesus Christ, that we as his disciples have been given to, to share with others for the explicit purpose of shining in the lives of those around us, why is it not always permanently fixed on a lampstand? Why is it hidden under the basket? Why do we put it there? And I'm not just asking a rhetorical question. At St. Mark Lutheran Church here in Ferndale, we have a church sign that faces a well-traveled intersection. Typical church sign messages, I'm sure you're familiar with them, were put on this thing for years. When I got here in 2017, an elder would regularly tell me, you know, pastor, we, we could really use this sign more effectively. But how? We didn't know. I don't know. We got limited space. What are we going to do with this sign? It's kind of the problem with church signs. Why do they become kind of these cliche bumper sticker kind of little nice messages? Because you can't really do much with them. Unless you can. In June of 2021, God revealed how we could use our sign more effectively. When I put up a sign that would lead St. Mark's into a whole different direction for this last year and a half and onward into the future. The sign read, Hurt by LGBTQ culture? Healing here. What we can see now from this vantage point looking back is that God removed St. Mark's basket and he put his light on the lampstand where it belongs in this community. This, sure, sparked a a pride protest at our door. It wasn't all happy-go-lucky times. Still isn't. But I was able to preach God's word to roughly 100 people the week after this sign went up, or within the week this sign went up. People who are advocates for unrepentant sin. Rainbow pride LGBTQ people who don't want to repent and don't want others to, but are actually actively encouraging other people into that sin. I got to preach God's word to them. All kinds of other things have unfolded in the year and a half since, including fending off a proposal made to the city council that our sign be outlawed and Ferndale publicly announced that it is an LGBTQ affirming community. We, we, were, we were able to put that down and preach the gospel in the process. Over the course of months, we had to teach our public servants the truth, both regarding left-hand and right-hand kingdom matters in city council meetings. Scripture's light was shining. 
It's been unending, my friends, unending. And not, not without reprisals, as I'm saying. Not without the struggle, the conflict, the fear, the risk, the attacks by the darkness involving death wishes to my family, vile phone messages, vandalism to the sign, the loss of relationships, constant hatred at the the personal level for nearly every member of our congregation. Everyone has been impacted by this. We had a spy record our services and try to ruin our reputation through uh, not-so-clever editing that he sent over to the newspaper who ran with it. The local members who own businesses have lost customers and therefore lost income. The local news, they've been along for the entire ride. And and in God's wisdom, <laughs> they've amplified the light of Christ for us. Unwittingly, they've done this as they've, they've tried to show how hateful and bigoted I am as the pastor here. They've put on public display this congregation's Christianity. They've taken what was before lived mostly privately in our personal lives, and they've put it right in front of everyone. And the Lord has been gathering people to his altar the entire time because his light was no longer under a basket, but was on the lampstand where it belongs, on full public display. And I could tell you a thousand more stories And there's probably a thousand more that I don't know that the members of the church haven't shared with me. But I can tell you this. It is awe-inspiring to actually suffer for the sake of Christ. It is awe-inspiring to finally see something good in the culture. So here's the thing. I asked, why do we not see more public displays of the Christian faith, in part. Now, of course, there are are many reasons, but in part, it's because Christians have forgotten that we are called into this life, this Christian life of ours. We are called into the body of Christ to speak and live the truth, to shine the light of Christ into the darkness of our world. I mean our local, real, residential world where the people in the dark aren't faceless people out there somewhere, but our very friends and family, our colleagues and co-workers, classmates. And they don't like it. That's the reality. Yes, so many people were shocked when they learned that a church in their town didn't affirm the LGBTQ culture. I mean, legitimately. It was news to so many people. Even though St. Mark was officially organized as a congregation in 1906. And LCMS missionaries actively traveled here to serve the local Lutherans who came from Missouri as early as 1893. So our congregation has been here throughout all the cultural shift that has taken place in the 20th century and now into the 21st century in this country that brought us from a Christian-influenced culture to our current pagan one. We have to own that. Because at some point in our little part of the world, we put a basket on Christ's light. And it remained there so long that when God removed it in His divine wisdom, It took everybody by surprise. Now, did any particular pastor put the basket on Christ's light? No, I don't think so. It doesn't always happen that way. Perhaps, but I don't think so. If it was just in Ferndale, maybe. Maybe we could say that. But St. Mark's is just a placeholder for nearly every Lutheran church in the Synod and countless other churches besides This is why we see the decline of Christianity in our country. We've all fooled ourselves into thinking what the world teaches, that death isn't a pressing 
reality for us or for our loved ones. There, there will always be tomorrow to tell someone about Jesus. And so we never really do. That we don't have to actually go through the suffering and the hardships. The hatred that Jesus promises will come our way. As long as we're Christian and we go to church, that's about it. And then eventually it's as long as we're Christian, because the enthusiastic aspect of the American Christianity convinces us we don't even really need to gather with God's people. To say it bluntly and succinctly, we've all gotten soft. <laughs> That's the reality. We have gone soft. All right, so we're going to take a break. Flip to 2 Timothy 1.8. We get back, we're going to take a look at that and continue this conversation. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Okay, so listen to the language here of 2 Timothy 1, 8 and following. Let's ask ourselves if these words could ever be used to define us and consider whether, honestly, whether we need to repent as American Christians. Okay, so 2 Timothy 1, 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. That's Paul talking to Timothy but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's stop right there at verse 10 for a second and say, we don't need a facade to cover death up in Christ. With a clear perspective of Jesus and what he does for us, we are actually freed, emboldened to venture in toward death, toward hatred and persecution and even martyrdom, because we know death has been abolished in Christ. It is no longer something for us to fear. So this becomes the opposite of the basket. It becomes the opposite of the facade trying to hide it. It just removes it. There's nothing to hide. So verse 10 again, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. We suffer. You don't have to be a preacher or apostle or teacher in the formal sense. You don't have to be a pastor in this line of the ministry to suffer. All Christians are called to be prophets of God, to speak the truth of Christ, as we read in Acts, right? The prophecy of Joel, that in these latter days, the sons and the daughters would speak the truth. We all get to do that. We all get to speak truth. And, and when we're talking about Christ Jesus, we are prophesying that he did truly die for us. This prophecy isn't just a forward prediction of the future kind of a thing. Prophets speak truth. If they don't, they're false prophets. They're speaking falsehood. So you, my friend, you and I both get to participate in this speaking of Christ Jesus to our neighbors and living it out by action. And this is what Paul says what, is why he is suffering. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced 
that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, the gospel. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, Paul says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly, and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's this passing down of the apostolic ministry. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So we want to continue according to the Bible. Don't let outside considerations affect what we're doing. What does God's word say? An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. These examples, the military, the farmer, the athlete, they show us that we're all supposed to be conducting our behavior according to who we are and who are we. Not military. I mean, you could be in the military. Not farmers, although you could be a farmer. And not athletes, although you could be an athlete. The point here is we are Christians. We are to behave according to those rules. If we are to indeed carry out and, and win the race, to run the race that Paul says he ran well. If we are to run it well, we have to run it according to the rules. Now think over what I say, Paul says, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Mm-mm. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Make no mistake, my friends. I am so very grateful to see grown men bending the knee to Jesus on national television in prayer. As Cindy said, finally, something good to see on TV. Oh, that we could see so much more of it, is what I'm saying. It should be the norm. It's not. It's not because we've lost our saltiness. <laughs> Let's be salty people. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Have we been denying him? How do we make sure the word of God is not hidden under a basket, but is on a lampstand? Reverend David Scare has a great book, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's called, as you might expect, the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> the church's first statement of the gospel. Listen to this goodness on Jesus' Matthew 5, 13 to 16, salt and light teaching. David Scare says, the disciples continue in Jesus' place as God's redemptive agents in the world. The saying on salt thus anticipates the commission 
to make disciples out of the Gentiles given by Jesus, yet carried out by the eleven. The Great Commission, right, is what we're talking about, recorded in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Through the disciples, through their preaching of the words of Jesus, the world will be preserved and saved from God's impending judgment. And let me say, from, from a very recent experience, this week, my friends, this week, when we do what we're supposed to do and let our light shine, the light that we've been given, Christ, let him shine, there are results. There may be variations in, in perceiving those results, but there are results. Here's one example for you. I hope it will encourage you. That's why I mention it. An all-ages drag show was planned to take place right here in Ferndale, our small little town of 1,300 people, I know, uh, right here next month in Ferndale. First drag show ever. They've really amplified up their work ever since that first sign of the church in June of 2021. That created the first Pride protest slash parade, and then we had a second annual parade, and they're planning their third annual parade. and So all of this is connected. But they were going to have their first ever drag show on Monday of this week. I put out a warning using our sign to all our neighbors who pass by. Beware, drag show for kids coming to the old steeple. Yeah, it was for kids, all ages. Tuesday morning, not even... You know, a day later, just a day later, I had to change it. Not because the world was trying to cancel us again, but because the sign was outdated. The sign, you see, had prompted a sit-down with the owners of the venue who wanted me to take down the sign. So I sat down with them. We had a, we had a nice long talk. When they realized that we have thrown away, here at St. Mark's, we have thrown away the basket that used to cover up God's light here at this congregation and that the light on our lampstand would continue to stay there and shine into the darkness that was planned to take place at their venue for the eternal well-being and love of our neighbors. Well, they had no choice, I suppose, then to cancel the show. I mean, they could have continued to do it, but they didn't want to do it with the publicity of it. So they canceled the show. What does John say in the first chapter of John? Early on stuff. John 1 stuff. In the word of God, in Jesus, in him, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, my friends, darkness can't overcome light. We can't lose. Christ is victorious. He has already won. All we simply do is shine his light into the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that Jesus commanded, all that he commanded, even those things that are going to get us hated, perhaps martyred. Death is real, but as we just discussed, it has been abolished by Jesus. So there is no fear. Back to the salt metaphor and Reverend Scare's teaching about it. We read that while it cannot be known for certain why salt, in particular, was chosen as a metaphor to explain the disciples' relationship to the world, salt is a substance known by its function. The disciples' function is to proclaim the message of Jesus. Unless he performs this function, he is no longer a disciple. That's what's at stake here. The salt, that is, the disciple, has become foolish if he's not proclaiming the message of Jesus. This is what the original words of Matthew suggest. This may well have a deeper meaning, Reverend Scare says, since Matthew uses the word fool of those who are aware of Jesus' message but have not taken the action it requires. The man who hears the words of Jesus but ignores them in Matthew 7, 26, and the five virgins who are not prepared for the bridegroom in Matthew 25, 2, are called fools. So you know what you're supposed to do, but you're not doing it. Foolishness. Salt, which has become foolish, represents those disciples who refuse to act according to the purpose for which they were created. What is that purpose? To preach the message of Jesus. 
And that's the full message of Jesus, which does involve declaring the law to the proud, unrepentant sinner in an effort to break down his pride and arrogance. That the gospel of Jesus Christ can be applied to his wound and heal him. And this, my friends, in closing, with just a few minutes left of the show, brings us to the devotional words of Martin Luther that I mentioned in the very beginning. You can find these words in Luther's works, volume 21 on the Sermon of the Mount, or if you're like me for this particular instance, and you happen to have a copy of Day by Day, 365 devotional readings from Martin Luther, this is January 10th's entry this past week. We read, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. Matthew 7, 14. The Christian's narrow path. The life of a Christian is as hard as if he were walking on a narrow path. In fact, on nothing but razors. Beneath us in the world is the devil, who is continually snapping at us with his jaws in order to bring on impatience, despair, and murmuring against God. In addition, the world is advancing on us, and it refuses either to yield to us or to let us pass. And around our neck lies our own flesh, that we are hemmed in on every side. The way itself is so narrow that it would be difficult enough even if there were no dangers or obstacles in the way. Nevertheless, we have to go through or become the property of the world and the devil. Think about this and guide yourself accordingly. If you want to be a Christian, then be one. It will never be any different. You will never make the way any wider. But let this be your comfort. First, that God is standing next to you. And second, that after you have gone through, you will enter a beautiful and wide room. Christ be with you, my friends, as you suffer for his sake in your public displays of the Christian life. And may you always know that the suffering you experience in this life is nothing in comparison to the glory that awaits you because of Jesus Christ crucified for you. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at kfuo.org.